Welcome. Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and joining me is a severely underpaid player who, though unfortunately, is on a homegrown contract. We could uh, tear that up and pay more, but why would we give up such a sweet deal? It's producer Mason. How you doing today, Mason? Oh, I'm good. Love to have my labor exploited. It's my favorite thing to do. Hey, it's <laughs> Exactly. Uh, we're all alone, ladies and gentlemen. Sean Campbell has left us. He's somewhere. He's in Boston, Austin, Kalamazoo. I don't know where he's gone to, but I know what we're going to do. We got a podcast to do for you, ladies and gentlemen. And we got some information for you. We got some big news that happened since the last time we talked for St. Louis City SC. A little speculation on that. City 2 had a big, big win uh, this week. A little bit on the academy, nothing really much happening in MLS, a little bit of news, and of course we had two big, uh, very important friendlies for the U.S. men's national team leading into this November's appearance in the group stages at the uh, FIFA World Cup. Uh, A short little note before then, a little programming note. This week we're getting by uh, just two out of the three of us, but next week we got uh, perhaps... uh, Serious logistics problems. Don't know if next week we will have a show or have to skip one. We'll let you know. Follow us on Twitter. Or if it doesn't show up in your podcast feed, you know we didn't do a show. (laughs) So, uh, also, we did change host very recently. If you're not getting our podcast uh, where you normally do, uh, please drop us a note. Either uh, send us a direct message on Twitter at Soccer Capital, or you can email us directly. You're free to do that at SoccerCapital at gmail.com. Hopefully for next week, we should be able to get something out for you. Going to try, but there's some family coming to visit, so we'll have to see how it shakes out. Yeah, that always causes problems and a couple other things, so we'll see how next week goes. We know where our priorities lie, and it's doing the show. To be quite honest. (laughs) Because with the show, we drink beer. (laughs) That's right. And uh, the big news for St. Louis City, it happened, well, the day that the last podcast dropped, the day after recording, so it's kind of old news. And it was kind of old news when it happened, but St. Louis City did announce they finalized the deal. Uh, Joachim Nielsen, the center back formerly in the Bundesliga, Armenia Bielefeld, will be joining St. Louis City and St. Louis City 2 this summer in July. It's become official, and uh, it was sort of an open secret, but it took a long time to get going. I think Bielefeld needed to get, uh, you know, relegated out of the Bundesliga, which happened. And uh, kind of a big, big deal, isn't it, Mason? Yeah. So it's finally official. We all kind of knew it was coming for months, but he's here. Well, not quite here yet. You know, they got to finalize his, his physical and his papers and all that, but he it's done. And this is a big deal signing. This is our guy in the backfield. Yeah, it is a big deal to have Nielsen come on because uh, not only we'd have a, an experienced at the highest possible level in the club game uh, with Roman Berkey at goalkeeper. Now we got this experienced Bundesliga center back uh, with also international experience with Sweden coming in. uh, And that really tightens down the defense. And any 
starting out expansion team in MLS that has a shot really needs to have these the back taken care of. Uh, that can make up for the lack of scoring, the teamwork that doesn't work because you could throw in a lot of guys together. You add in the fact that a lot of these guys have already been signed. You got a striker, you got a midfielder, you got uh, you got Nilsson at center back, you got Pedro at uh, defensive back, Berkey coming in, Ostrak in the midfield. Uh, you've got a, the core of a team that can start getting reps together and start building around there. So this is a very key signing. You've also got Josh Yarrow with MLS experience, a former very high uh, pick in the MLS Super Draft, captaining your development team right now and doing a fine job in the back. He's available to work at center back and will get reps with Berkey and uh, with Nielsen, if not all a lot in games, definitely on the training pitch. And that matters a great deal. So this is a big, big signing. Perhaps, perhaps the biggest one that they've signed so far. I I don't think that that's a stretch to say, really. Um, Berkey was a big name. Uh, Klaus is always exciting. It's exciting when you get your number nine. Um, but I think that Nilsson is the most important player we've signed so far. To have a really strong center back really strong D-man. Um, and this is the first signing for a player that currently plays for his national team. We got someone with caps. He just played with Sweden in, a, or it, I think maybe still is playing for Sweden in a, the UEFA Nation, uh, Nations League. He's getting caps right now. Yeah, and uh, that's important. And uh, his signing really brings the core of the team together. And uh, on top of that, uh, MLSsoccer.com's Tom Bogert, uh, he of the uh, admirable mustache, uh, did put out an article on MLSsoccer.com uh, today talking about certain MLS players that are coming up out of contract as the, we get to the halfway point of the season upcoming, or at least past about a third. There's big names on there. There's uh, Sean Johnson of NYCFC, Carlos Vela, who uh, his contract and negotiations with LAFC still haven't been finalized. Uh, there's also David Ochoa, famously of the U.S. youth system, who declared for Mexico of Real Salt Lake, the goalkeeper. But there's a few names that really apply to St. Louis City SC, something to keep an eye on to see if things develop to where they don't come back to their teams Someone that uh, St. Louis City SC could really use, given Lutz's uh, profile of what he wants from the team and the game, the game style. Yeah. Um, so with the, we've kind of picked out four names that are like big names that'll be entering free agency. I want to focus in first on Latif Blessing because the big piece that we're missing right now is a big high impact midfielder. He fits that perfectly. For defense and as a former winger can bring you offense. He's really was transformed with Bob Bradley at LAFC into a very valuable player. He won't come cheap in MLS. But as an expansion team, you've got the gam to try to make that move. He's a big one on that list. Another one, though he doesn't really fit the profile as a... Uh, 
Defensive back, uh, left back, and right back is Ryan's Hollingshead. Not a not noted as a fantastic uh, defender, but he's a goal scorer from the back and really pushes forward. Not necessarily out of line. I just don't think he fits the playing style format. That's an interesting name. Yeah, it would be a bit of a stretch to get Hollingshead, but um, that he can play on both sides would be interesting because we've got Nilsson up the middle right now, and then Pedro plays left back. So Hollingshead could slide a slot in on the right. But I, yeah, like you said, I don't know if he's a great fit. Yeah, I don't know how locked in Pedro actually is as a starter. There could be somebody to replace him. He's a young player in a lesser league. He could win that job. There could be competition, especially the first season. He seems to be someone for development, but I could be wrong on that. Yeah, and I'm I'm just going off of what we have right now, right? Exactly. Because we could speculate as long as the day is about who could take that job. But right now we've got Pedro, so. Yep. And another interesting name is Daniel Shalloway of uh, Sporting Kansas City. Uh, Very good player. He's been a little up and down in his career. The ups are very high. The downs are kind of low. Not sure if he fits the profile. Not sure if he'll be leaving Kansas City, but he's not locked down. And given their struggles because via injuries this year, you have to see how it goes, how Kansas City feels about keeping this team together or breaking it up to try to do something different. He's young enough. I think that uh, he will stay with sporting myself. The other thing about Latif Blessing, we've been hearing about him for years. He's still only 25 this season right now as we speak. Yeah, I was surprised when you said that uh, off air because I thought that he was quite a bit older. Uh, With Shallowy, I think that the most important thing for our purposes is would Sean ever forgive the club if they took Shallowy away from sporting? <laughs> well, if he leaves sporting, I'm sure that coming to St. Louis City SC, he will be very, very fine with being able to watch him all the time. So I don't think there's a problem there. An interesting name on this list is uh, Alejandro Pozuelo, Pozuelo of uh, Toronto, the 2020 Landon Donovan MLS MVP winner. Uh, surprising, he has said that he wants to stay in Toronto. Could stay that also say that he wants to stay in MLS. Don't know if he fits the profile. He's already 30-31. Don't really know or think much of what I've seen on his defensive presence. But he is state-of-the-art in MLS for creating opportunities and scoring goals. Just what you want from somebody to play in the central of the attack. Uh, Very interesting. Won't come cheap. But uh, all the guys that we've already signed, including Nilsson, who was on a freeze out of contract, they haven't really committed a lot of that MLS Monopoly money to committing these guys. There's still a lot of uh, dry gum powder out there to sign somebody of an impact of Pozuelo. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's an intriguing thought and an intriguing name. Yeah. And um, with the age, I mean, I think that that Lutz wants to lean younger, but he's not tremendously shy about signing older players. Berkey's fairly old. And I know that goalkeepers age differently than than outfield players, but still. Yeah, he stated that's the type of player they want, but he's also stated he wants somebody with MLS experience. He'll take talent, I'm sure, of it. Because who wouldn't? Um, 
And if he thought it was a fit, he could get it. If he liked him, apparently he's got the infrastructure to try to persuade him. That came with Nilsson. As uh, Lutz has often been seen on social media at Blues Games, and he brought out the Swedish mafia, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you got information on what, what, who they had from the Blues to help uh, bring Nielsen to St. Louis City. Yeah, um, it's not a lot. This is just kind of like a fun, like tidbit side story. But um, unfortunately, I don't remember the author's name. Apologies, but uh, it was an article in the St. Louis Post Dispatch. I don't know if it actually made the paper, but it was on the Post Dispatch website. St. Louis Today. Yeah, STL Today. Um, but uh, that Lutz had gotten Oscar Sundquist and Alex Steen, um, Sonny when he still played for the Blues before he got traded, and then Steen shortly after he had retired, uh, recruited them to try to persuade their compatriot that, hey, St. Louis is a really good sports town. There's people here who love this city. They play here and then stay their entire lives. We can vouch for that. And also that, it, yeah, like aside from just like the general culture shock of coming to the U.S. in general, St. Louis is a is a otherwise pretty easy place to ingratiate yourself. Yeah, it comes down to also keep in mind that athletes, professional athletes, aren't really robots. That's not always about the most money or uh, other considerations. There's also they want to play somewhere where they feel comfortable, especially after you reach a certain uh, point in your career where you have options. Nielsen certainly had options. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the Cardinals have played this sort of card before for many years. It's good to see that St. Louis City SC is also using uh, that, and Lutz is smart enough and uh, tied in enough to realize that he's got these cards he can play and, you know, play him as Trump hands to go ahead and win a player that he really wants yeah jump in the gun just a little bit but even in a um an off-day interview vitor diaz with city two said that already people recognize him on the street and are making him feel welcome and they've played like nine games yeah (laughs) so yeah it i mean st louis is a good sports town we all know that everyone knows that and so speaking of vitor diaz he of the City 2 Development Squad in MLS Next Pro. Uh, they did play a game this week, a big win for them. And to tell us more about it, we've got Mason. Yeah, so there was a game. St. Louis City 2 wins 2-0 over the Dynamo 2 at Ralph Cordy Stadium in Edwardsville. Uh, and speaking of Vitor Diaz, he opened the scoring. 28th minute. Got a nice ball in from, I believe, from Pompeu and bangs it home, beats the keeper, uh, breaks out his little his little goggle celebration. <laughs> and um, uh, the, the, the stream didn't cut out this time, I guess, maybe because we were at home. No one got too mad about it. <laughs> but um, and that's uh, DS's fourth goal on the MLS next pro season. Mm hmm. Um, another fun little tidbit, uh, that came up in his, his off day interview. Um, he scored the second goal in the first game against Rochester. That game against the Dynamo was the 100th MLS next pro game overall. He scored in that one too. So little bookending of the chapter there. Yeah. 
saw that on the interview. I don't know how the math with the 100th for this game adds up, but uh, we'll roll with it. It's on the yeah. uh, it's on the city app on your phone. If you've got that, you can check it out. Yeah. And I mean, like, that's not really that important. It's just it's one of those like just interesting things that pops up that makes sports interesting. It's not a not an especially steep, deep storyline, but it's it's fun. But um, from that first half, City 2 were just bossing them. Yeah, they didn't have, you know, overwhelming amounts of possession. Uh, Dynamo may have had more possession in the game, but effective possession and scoring chances, it was down to City. But Dynamo, too, had their chances. They're a talented team. Some very talented guys there. But uh, I thought that Ian McGrain had his best game as a City 2 player. Uh, I, I don't even think that's without question. It might have been his best game of the career of his career. This was his first ever clean sheet. And the Brazilian co- connection with Diaz and Pompeu paid off in the second half in the 55th minute, didn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, because uh, uh, Diaz gets an assist on this one. So we're reversing roles here. Um, Pompeu gets a ball up at the top of the box near the arc. And I don't think anybody expected him to shoot this ball. Because he's covered, he doesn't have a lot of space, but he finds an opening. He puts a shot in, down on down on the grass, pacey ball, good shot, but catches everyone off guard, catches the keeper completely flat-footed, and it goes right in. Galazzo. Yeah, he got, created some space, got off a snap shot, hit it hard, hit it right, hit it true. And uh, City was up to a 2-0 lead, and... Uh, Got a little nervy at the end as Dynamo really pushed for it. Yeah. Uh, real quick with the Pompeo goal, I know that we sometimes make fun of the uh, the announcing on the MLS Next Pro games, but I actually really liked the call that the announcer had for the Pompeo goal. And Pompeo, he's going to shoot it. He's going to score it. It was actually a really nice call. I liked it a lot. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what you're going to get. Uh, Mike Watts is quite good. That covers a lot of this. Uh, I'm not sure who it was covering this game. The name escapes me. Unfortunately, I don't remember it either. Uh, but it was interesting. A very big win. Uh, coming in, Dynamo was the top team in the Western Conference. Uh, they no longer are. City 2 moves up to fifth place. Shortly. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Whitecaps 2, Vancouver, won their game uh, the following day and then uh, jumped us. Oh, okay. So we are now back down to sixth, but we did take the fifth spot briefly. Uh, games are starting to come quick and fast, right? When's the next game for City 2? Next game is, for y'all listening, tonight. Um, for us, it will be tomorrow because we're recording on Tuesday as usual. Um, but it is the first game of their three-game road trip. They are heading off to Denver to play the Rapids, too. Uh, this is um, kind of like the uh, the Real Monarchs game. A good chance to pick up some momentum and get a win on a team that's in a real rough patch. Rapids, too, aren't doing well. They're ninth in the Western Conference, and they have lost five of their last five. Also, like the Real Mar- Monarchs game, chance for the team to perform at altitude. Yes. Uh, which was interesting, the Real Monarchs game. The Monarchs, there's not a lot of call-ups to RSL 
from that team. They're the ones that got tired, not the team from St. Louis. We'll see how that plays against the Rapids uh, tomorrow night mm-hmm. for us. Yeah. Um, Hackworth also had an, an off-day interview. Coach John Hackworth, that yes. is. Um, and he, uh, he was asked about the altitude, and he said um, that, like, although they're, they're similar elevations, Denver just feels different. I, I guess it, it, it hit different, kind of like that McDonald's Sprite. So, God, that's a terrible joke. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, like, so we'll have to see if, if yeah, if, like, the vibes are off and it hits them different, but it's not a huge elevation shift. The Mountain West is all kind of the same, even though Denver is the highest city in the Mountain West, but... It rates from the way the players perform at elevation. Uh, in MLS, they've already... they've always seemed a little more leggy in Denver than in real in real Salt Lake in Salt Lake City I should say uh it it's just something I've seen living out west uh desert with the dry air uh can perform a little bit better than the higher mountains that are more snow capped humidity wise the air is not quite as it's just different it it yeah it do hit different but um yeah, so we'll uh, we'll see lots of parallels there. Um, the boys pulled it out in uh, in Salt Lake. We'll see if they can do it in Denver. But um, that starts their road trip. They also then head off to Chicago to play the Fire Two, and then over to KC for a game against SKC Two. Um, and those will be uh, the next coming weekend for Fire, and then the weekend after um, for SKC. Okay. And uh, the St. Louis City Academy, uh, the U16s in particular, didn't have a makeup game they had to play this week uh, as well? They did. Um, We got and then very quickly played that makeup game against St. Louis Scott Gallagher that had to be canceled for inclement weather. Um, That was on the 4th, and it was a 2-1 loss. At Creevecore for the U16s, which is a pretty difficult result, but also they're comfortably in second place in their, uh, I don't know, division, I suppose. Um, and it's not a not a nice way to close out your season, but they are uh, still in a playoff spot for the MLS Next Cup. Um, all signs are pointing to that they should qualify. The U-17s are already in, like we said, because of their win for their group in MLS Next Flex. So both of our academy groups are heading off to the US, uh, to the MLS Next Cup playoffs, and those begin on the 25th of June. So that's it's not soon, but it's not far away either. It'll come up quickly. Yeah. Um, the 25th of June uh, also happens to be the next, uh, home game for city two, which will be against the real monarchs. They're coming up a lot. <laughs> uh, don't know if we'll make any, either one of those games, but, uh, if you're up for a lot of, uh, St. Louis city soccer before the team starts, it makes a full day for you right there. Well, I don't think that we'll be making the, the MLS next cup game because those are all taking place. I think in Texas probably won't be going there. Ye of little faith. (laughs) (laughs) Good point, though. 
And that kind of wraps up what we've got for St. Louis City News this week. Uh, now we'll move on to a uh, little bit of information on MLS. And then we got a couple of friendlies, very important friendlies for the U.S. men's national team that we want to talk about a little bit. And in MLS this week, there was just one game because the international window for said friendlies. And uh, that was kind of a exciting game at the end, wasn't it, Mason? Yeah. So uh, we are without our resident MLS guy. So I guess I'm doing the doing the MLS coverage. Yeah, it was Vancouver versus Salt Lake. Salt Lake again, man. They just <laughs> they're haunting us. <laughs> A specter is haunting the Soccer Capital podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, Vancouver played Salt Lake. It was a 2-1 win for Vancouver. Um, pretty kind of typical, you know, 1-1 game like you'd expect. All the way up until stoppage time. And right at the death, um, Salt Lake player goes in for a really late slide slide tackle on Vancouver player takes him out, gets a gets a yellow and called a foul, obviously. Um, second yellow, so they get sent off, get a red. Doesn't really matter that we're talking about stoppage time here, but penalty is called. Ryan Gold. The Scottish Messi. Yep. Uh, he takes the PK, converts it. So right at the death, because of a penalty, Vancouver pulls this one out. Pretty exciting way to win if you're Vancouver. Really tragic if you're a Salt Lake fan. (laughs) Yeah. Salt Lakes have been playing well. They took it on the chin in this one. Uh, Maybe fifth what they're doing. They've been uh, staying up in the Western Conference quite high, given the fact that they've been without their best player, Damir Krylak, for most of the season because of injury and, of course, lost Albert Rusnak to free agency in the offseason to the Seattle Sounders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crylock should be back end of this month, I believe, is when he's expected. I have to see how that actually shakes out. They had the ownership change. They brought in a couple of uh, brand new guys that are familiar to him that used to play there. Uh, interesting team. It's a fun team. MLS can give you these sort of narratives to keep an eye on a team like RSL. Uh, other big news in the transfer as the transfer window opens in Europe. It's time for those incoming and outgoing transfers. This one's an outgoing one, and it's a big one. Uh, New England Revolution designated player and forward Adam Buxa has signed with R.C. Lons in uh, France's Ligue 1. Uh, he is will be leaving very shortly on June 10th, so he won't be there for the Revs' next game when MLS returns. And... The reportedly the transfer fee is ten million dollars for him, so a good bit of business for the Revolution. They've been moving players out lately, and after a long time of not doing business in MLS, what is it three point oh now? Uh, they're getting on the uh, they're getting in on the game of trying to get uh, movement in the international market and doing a pretty good job of it. Yeah, this is a uh, real sudden. Leaving in a hurry. But yeah, the Revs uh, pick up a good chunk of change here, um, even though it's really going to sting them to lose uh, 
uh, to lose Buxa because they're not doing very well right now, and he's one of their best players. So, <laughs> And plus, Matt Turner leaves very shortly to go to Arsenal as well mm-hmm. to be a backup there. So uh, they're losing a big part of their team. They lost Tejan Buchanan uh, in the offseason, and it's kind of showed. But that's where MLS is. And if you can make this deal, any club in the world, if you can sell them for a profit, you sell them. That's the name of the game. Yeah, especially a team like New England that's not in any kind of a hunt for any position this season. Doesn't look like it, though. Bruce Arena will never, never admit to that. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, I mean, let's be real. That is the situation they're in. Yeah, and uh, coming up uh, this week, still in the international window. Uh, So there's only three games on the weekend in MLS, all on TV. On June 11th, you've got... Uh, Charlotte hosting uh, Red Bulls New York. A lot of changes in Charlotte. A lot of information going on there. Uh, Red Bulls are playing quite well. That'll be interesting to watch. And then you got Nashville hosting San Jose. Yep, the fun fun team. (laughs) The Quakes, who've been playing quite well since they got rid of uh, their longtime head coach. And then on June 12th, Sporting Kansas City. Devastated by injuries, taking on New England, devastated by outgoing players. So that's something to keep an eye on. Yeah. The fun of MLS never stops. Yeah. Did we talk about Charlotte and the uh, the kind of new information that had come out about their coach? I don't know if we really got into some of the newer information. Do we want to? <laughs> uh, it's getting kind of old, but it came out today. Christian Fuchs... The captain, the uh, center back that came over from Leicester City, uh, he did say that uh, found it very hard to work with Miguel and Hel Ramirez. That oftentimes when they expressed concerns, they were brushed off. Go to talk to the coach, and the doors always shut. Pretty damning comments from the players, though he said there was no true revolt. They didn't refuse to play or anything of that nature. But it's coming out that, man, there's real personality clashes going on between the front office, this head coach, this head coach, and the players. It just makes you wonder if, did did Charlotte actually look into, do their vetting when they hired this coach? They thought he was going to do what they said, and he was quite forceful in his voice, ticked off the front office. Uh, talented coach, but he's been let go from other places after having good results. He was having good results at Charlotte. Interesting also, Fuchs said that uh, he thought that Charlotte had underperformed underperformed this year, where I thought they were overperforming, but, yep. you know, um, inside <laughs> the club's always different. Yeah, agree to disagree on that one. Um, <laughs> but uh, Swiderski had made similar comments about... Uh, about Miguel as well. Um, but it largely seemed like it was a clash of personalities between him and don't remember his name, but the, the sporting director. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That really what they wanted was more kind of a, like a yes man guy. And he was pretty headstrong about how he wanted to run the team. Um, 
Sounds yeah. like he's got a pretty hard-nosed coaching style and is not easy to get along with. But he, I, yeah, I, I got to disagree with uh, with Fuchs here. I think that Charlotte was playing above their station here. They were doing quite well considering being an expansion team and the situation they were handed. So yeah. it's it's surprise. I, I like. I mean, if it's like this kind of a clash of personalities, I guess it's not that surprising. But you would think that when you're kind of exceeding everyone else's expectations and you're only a couple of months into your first season, you might ride it out at least a little longer. Yeah. Uh, uh, who can say? There's been an exodus out of the uh, front office at Charlotte. Uh, just kind of makes you wonder. Question, looking from the outside, you just got to look at the culture around the place and wonder what's going on. Uh, not being on Insider and not being my team, that's about all I've got to say about it right now. Yeah. Moving on, it's a big international window for the U.S. men's national team. A couple of uh, important friendlies to try to get ready for the World Cup and then a couple of Nations League uh, friendlies in the league format that CONCACAF and UEFA and other confederations have done that also take up their space in this but uh, the first two are against two teams that have qualified for the world cup against morocco and then uruguay and uh we saw some pretty good stuff actually from the u.s men's national team you get into the details there's worrying things but i'm sure that morocco and uruguay also had worrying things um not to mention the worrying things that uruguay imposed upon mexico earlier in the week in a three nil win over mexico mm-hmm. uh earlier but yeah we uh we got a, we got good info in both of these games but we got a we got a good result too uh in the game against morocco i could posit that we had good results in both of these but uh morocco was a three nil win uh surprisingly open these games are friendlies not really competitive but uh give you a good chance to see What's going on, how the players perform, how they work out. Morocco, a little stout defensively, but really working on the counterattack. They were open. The U.S. was open in midfield, allowed Morocco to stretch the field. And when that happens, the talent on this U.S. team can really shine, and it did in this particular match. Uh, Brendan Aronson came in and actually played in the midfield in the usual Weston McKinney role nominally. Actually, in attack, he usually played on the wing like he normally does. Just in defense, he played centrally as uh, uh, basically Reggie Cannon swung over like they tried to do early on in Berhalter's reign with Tyler Adams to make a back three on defense and then uh, turn more to the normal back four-round offense in the attack. Worked pretty well here, though. The midfield was pretty wide open. Uh, that allowed for an exciting match. There was some really good stuff here. Exciting for both teams. Uh, Morocco didn't bring their finishing boots. They could have been a closer line than 3-0. That's flattering to the U.S. Uh you saw some good stuff from Jesus Ferreira, but uh, he couldn't finish his chances. It's becoming a theme, and I think that's making him press. 
Haji Wright came in late in the second half. He showed pretty well. Uh, Luca De La Torre came in uh, for Tyler Adams in the back of uh, the defense in the midfield. He looked pretty good. It suits his passing and dribbling skill set, though he might have been usurped in the second game against Uruguay. Yeah, Haji Wright, if I remember correctly, came in and then a few minutes later converted a PK for a goal in his first appearance. Well, yeah, that was quite interesting. His uh, The story is uh, in the U15s, I believe, at World Cup, a lot of teams like uh, all over Europe, Borussia Dortmund, Munich, Liverpool, a lot of teams came in to watch Haji Wright and scout him and found out there was this other kid called Pulisic that was the class of the field. And they ended up going after him. Of course, famously, Borussia Dortmund landed him. There was competition for him. Uh, But they actually came to scout Haji Wright. At that age, he was the main guy. Uh, His career went off the rails a little bit. He didn't have a straight line like some of the other guys, like McKinney, Pulisic, Reyna. Uh, Tyler Adams, uh, but he's come back in, had a great year in Turkey, uh, and got back in the squad. So Pulisic won the uh, penalty, grabbed the ball. Uh, the Moroccan players giving him in his ear, giving him all the talk, and it looked like it was preset because Haji Wright walked up, Pulisic threw him the ball, and Haji Wright, after quite a bit of time that made you a little nervous, uh, scored the penalty kick. It was a okay penalty kick, hit with power, confidence. It was a good thing because uh, Bunu, the uh, goalkeeper, actually had guessed the right way and dove, but he couldn't stop the shot. Mm-hmm. That was a very nice moment, actually. Yeah. And Haji Wright did not foul it up. He made the penalty kick. Yeah, uh, got the got the conversion. But yeah, Haji Wright's kind of like the the last missing piece from the the young core, so to speak. Uh. We talked about him being open. Morocco couldn't finish their chances. This scoreline should have been a lot closer. Though I think on all in all, the U.S. was a little bit better than them. Perhaps just a hair tick better in a tier than Morocco on the world stage. Uh, Morocco was smart enough, good enough to take advantage and exploit mistakes, small mistakes that the U.S. made in defense. Uh, and the U.S. was good enough to exploit and take advantage of mistakes that Morocco made in defense. All in all, a very good test. We also got to see some people that came in. Cameron Carter-Vickers famously misread a uh, cross, went over his head for the best chance that Morocco had the whole game. They couldn't convert. All in all, I think that was a little harsh on him. It was a very good play by Morocco, very smart that showed a team that the U.S. isn't quite at the level, though they're gaining it, where the two players had this sort of knowledge of how the other one was going to move to make that run and make that shot, and the crosser and the recipient were on the same level. That takes time to play together. This is not a veteran U.S. unit. Uh, They're going to get there. But it takes time to get to the point to where you understand where everybody's moving. They're getting better, but you still see moments where uh, somebody makes a run and it's just missed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're you're going to get that with a, with a young group, and especially a group like the USM&T has where we 
they just keep having to cycle guys out and can't really ever quite get all of the A team together for for a ride. Yeah, and uh, with the injuries to Miles Robinson, the ongoing ineptitude for the striker role, the number nine, nobody's distancing themselves. There's still questions on this U.S. team. Aaron Long got to start next to Walker Zimmerman. He had his moments both good and bad. He's been generally quite good for the U.S. men's national team in the past. Before his injury, he's trying to get his well self back in. Same thing with Cameron Carter-Vickers and in the Uruguay game, Eric Palmer-Brown trying to get back in the picture and have done quite well in their club teams after some, you know, growth issues. Not uncommon. Uh, Long, Vickers, nobody, we just haven't seen anyone over these two games that distance themselves there. Uh, Basically, a lot of people are coming away. The Chris Richards of Hoffenheim has uh, distanced himself ahead because he wasn't here to to prove his deficiencies. Uh, addition by subscri- subtraction, basically. Um, and then maybe jumping the gun a little bit here, but um, Jordy Mihailovic not being here uh, because of his very untimely injury is a real bummer because um, Triple G has said in post-game interviews that in the next window, he's probably going to just trot out the players he expects to take to the World Cup, which means that if Jordy's back, he's probably not going to get a look in there, which is a bummer. It could be. Uh, He was all set. uh, Brandon Aronson was slotted in to take Weston McKinney's role, McKinney coming back from that broken foot. Was only good for about 25 minutes in this one against Morocco. Uh, So Aronson playing in the midfield. We've seen it before in World Cup qualifying. Didn't work so well. Looked a little bit better this time. Though he's not as great defensively. Uh, Mihalovic is actually also an offensive player. Plays this role. It's kind of set up for him. Uh, And Aronson came in and did a job in the attack. He was very effective. In this one, what we're expecting now from Brendan Aronson every match. Yeah, I mean, hard to say, like the kind of caliber of play we we would have gotten from Jordy, because I mean, Jesus Ferrer has been absolutely tearing it up for club, but just couldn't just couldn't quite get it done for country uh, these last two rides. So hard. It's hard to try to compare hypothetical play against actual play that we saw. It's just a real bummer for him that he might have missed his shot this time around for just bad timing, man. <laughs> yeah, you get that. But they, hey, that happens it, to the World Cup qualifying. Hap- I've been watching for decades now, and it, it happens. Uh, the Uruguay game was the second one. They did a heavily rotated squad, still very talented. Uh, it ended up in a nil-nil draw. Uh, Probably the right result. Both teams were had their moments where they were on the up. Uh, both teams missed very good chances. Uh, in this one, Jesus Ferreira just didn't score from two very good chances. One, the pass was at his feet. Didn't get his feet quite right to score. He's not a true number nine. But nobody's getting their feet right in that position for the U.S., 
that one was kind of a heartbreaker for him to miss because the other one was a uh, a really high cross in from I don't remember who crossed it in unfortunately, but it was a, it was a really nice cross. It was just a little too high, and he couldn't get quite enough height to head it down, so he it it went up and out. Yeah, in both matches, uh, Ferrero make runs and people didn't give him the proper service, and when they did, it wasn't quite right at his feet. Uh, extraordinary striker in the modern game would be able to correct, but you need Lewandowski, you need Benzema, you need Edison Cavani, uh, somebody that can do that. But Cavani had a big miss in that Uruguay game at the death, had a sitter and missed it. So it happens. The speed of the game happens to all of them. All in all, what we saw was good attacking play from the U.S., the defense, even when they were out of sorts, uh, always came together and were stout and kept the ball out of the net. In the in the first half, man, so many dis- defensive mistakes. Especially in the first uh, So many minutes. turnovers, but they weathered the storm. Uh, Joe Scally. Joe Scally got hosed, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first 10 minutes, they, they were targeting him. Young guy in the Bundesliga. Uh, at Gladbach, uh, he was making mistakes. He looked a little out of his depth. About 10 minutes into the first half, the U.S. decided to keep him back, keep his defensive responsibilities, and and move Yedlin into attack. Neither one of those guys really shown in this game, except Yedlin made a crucial uh, goal line uh, clearance to yeah, save a goal. Yeah, after seeing the, the score line at the end, Yedlin saved the game right there. Yeah. Uh, Eunice Musa was big in the Uruguay game coming up from the midfield. They played him a little deeper back to get the ball off of Tyler Adams. Uh, he's still not the best passer out of the midfield, uh, but his ability to dribble forward through traffic really takes the onus off of Tyler Adams to have to move the ball forward. And he can do what he does best is, which is defend. Uh, Sean Johnson got the start in net and he looked good in front of goal, but I guess he made some pretty poor passes. A couple. Also, he made some very good passes. Uh, actually, he had a good showing with uh, Zach Steffen not here and uh, being a backup at Manchester City. Matt Turner, so good against Morocco. Got rotated out. Yeah, giving Johnson a chance, but he's going to Arsenal where he'll more than likely be a backup, fully expected. Uh, Johnson's the one that's playing every week and heading into the World Cup, will play every week leading into that, guaranteed, unless he's injured, of course, and playing quite well for NYCFC, very well. Uh, Sean Johnson's a great goalie. He just had like a a couple lapses of judgment that looked pretty poor, but overall, I think he had a great performance. Yeah, Coach uh, Greg Especially Berhalter. in front of net, like when it came to making saves, he was spectacular. Uh, Taylor Twelman in the Morocco broadcast, and Stu Holden held this up in the Fox one, says that, that they got information that Berhalter has said that given who's going to get their playing time, he'll go with the hot hand and goalie in the World Cup. So therefore, Johnson... Got his start here because he'll be the one playing that we know of or is fully expected heading into the World Cup. 
I mean, that's what you got to do in, in in net, man. We saw it with the Blues, right? Yeah. Russo wasn't getting it done. He was the high hand going in. You put in Bennington. Bennington's clutch in the playoffs. Then he gets hurt, and we get bounced. Yeah, this is, as we mentioned earlier, this is probably the last window also to for new guys coming into the system uh, to make their impact, and I'm not so sure that a whole lot of them did. Uh, Jesus Ferreira has the number, got the starting role. It's a striker up front, the number nine, however you want to call it, but he's really not a true one of those, though he's showing it for Dallas. One thing he has in his pocket, if you get the, if the other forwards or the midfield gets a ball in, his first touch is what you expect from a midfielder. It's a, it's quite good. Yeah. But he's having trouble scoring goals. He's doing it in Dallas, but he seems a little rushed and a little pressed with the U.S. men's national team. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Ferreira has real uh, uh, soft hands, so to speak. Uh, soft soft feet. feet, I guess. Um, but, yeah, uh, one thing that I was hoping to see that we didn't get to see was the Ferreira Ariola hookup plays. No. That didn't really happen because Ariola came off the bench. Um that's because basically trying to get time for the starters to get reps, Ferreira's in, Ariola's a backup, Timothy Weyers got his spot and pretty much locked it down and did nothing to lose that. He was quite good against Morocco, not quite as good against Uruguay, but still quite good. Way had some great service balls, yeah. even if they didn't get scored. So I think actually it was Wea that that gave that uh that service ball into to Ferreira that was just a little too high. That was a fantastic ball. It was if Ferreira was even an inch or two taller, that's a goal. Aaron Long got a lot of looks next to uh, Walker Zimmerman for that defensive pairing because he's been there. Uh, had some positives, had some big negatives. Zimmerman was a rock. Of course uh, he is. It's it's Walker Zimmerman. Cameron Carter Vickers was all right, but he had a huge mistake. Eric Palmer Brown didn't impress. Don't know what's happening there. Joe Scally. Yeah. Had was, some run out. He didn't work so well. I was going to say the big the big negative point, I think, is Joe Scally. He got rinsed. Uh, he we just got absolutely rinsed. Luca De La Torre came in for Tyler Adams. Looked pretty good. Uh, against Uruguay came in. did Had some moments where he didn't look quite so good. But he's a backup uh, in that position. But that partnership with Zimmerman, uh, it's just hard to say. I think that the athleticism of Long is going to take it over anyone else right now, plus his familiarity with the U.S. men's national team, whether he's the best role model. Richards could come in and take it back, but he's got to stay healthy. He's got to stay on the field. He's got to prove it. I'm not so sure he's proven it 100% with the U.S. men's national team. Uh, All in all, that window's been great. Um, I, I feel a little obligation to do, uh, do an homage to, uh, our, um, our, our co-host late of this parish. Where's John Brooks? <laughs> we, we all know where John Brooks is. He's not there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speculation is he didn't win a starting job. We think there's been rumors of personality clashes, whatever. The coach does him rating. Yeah. I, I didn't even mean to like get into it. It was just a joke. <laughs> yeah. And who knows? There's another window in September. We don't know who they're going to play. Burhalter has said they're going to be World Cup caliber, if not World Cup teams. But we don't know yet. I guess the 
the numbers aren't on the dotted lines or the PR guys aren't quite prepared to announce yet. So we don't know. Yeah. Although it is going to be interesting to see who we do get matched up against because because it probably will not be European clubs because or teams, I suppose, because they are going to be still competing in UEFA Nations League. Because Could be. Could UEFA be. Nations League just cannibalizes the entire calendar. <laughs> and speaking of Nations League, CONCACAF did the same, and that's going to cannibalize half of this window. Uh, the next game's against uh, Grenada. Not a real test for this team. Not what they need right now. The other one's a home match against El Salvador. They're kind of stout, but not really anything of this caliber of Morocco, especially Uruguay. Uh, in the Uruguay game, Uruguay did start a heavily rotated squad after they had previous in the week, uh, I believe on Thursday, played against Mexico and uh, beat them 3-0. Uh but they still were very talented, very smart, very uh, dangerous. Uh, and then when the U.S. Uh, did their substitutions in the second half, Uruguay brought in their A-listers, like Edison Cavani, Valverde of Real Madrid, players of that ilk. And the U.S. still was able to absorb that shock, which did happen for about 10 minutes when they all came in. And for the most part, well, held on for the the clean sheet. Yeah, which is uh, a good sign. But um, yeah, I remember when uh, when it came out, like the uh, the lineups, the starting 11 for Uruguay, we both were like, huh, okay, well, I guess maybe this game won't be as tough as we thought it was. No, they yeah. were tough as nails still. Yeah, they got they got a lot of talent there. Yeah, that's a deep team. That's a deep roster. Uh, and I guess a couple of things to talk about coming out of these friendlies. One was Christian Pulisic's comments in a flash interview with, uh, was it Fox? I believe so. No, that would have been ESPN. Yeah, who who care? Yeah, but uh, he said something about, uh, with the partisan crowd from Morocco, uh, not capacity crowd, like to see more American fans there. Uh, there was some kickback on this, blaming the fans. Those Moroccan fans were American. That's a bunch of noise, to be quite honest. In my opinion, we know what he meant. Do we know what he meant? Because I read that comment, and honestly, I don't even know if he knows what he meant. <laughs> that is true. Christian Pulisic is not the most erudite player on this squad. It's, uh, I, like, it, it's... It... <laughs> He it's really impossible to parse if he was trying to say that these games should be more accessible to U.S. fans and it was a dig at the U at U.S. soccer for like high ticket prices and venue selection or if it just straight up was a dig at at fans for not turning out. It's it's impossible to tell. Either way, one thing you do have to say is they keep that was in Cincinnati. They keep playing in Ohio. I mean, the lowest ticket price was $79 to this match. If you're bringing the family, that's expensive. You play there four or five times during qualifying and now on a friendly. Man, it's a midweek game. People just aren't going to turn out. It's 
on that. The Morocco American fans, yeah, they're going to turn out to see their team. Uh, it wasn't as big an issue against Uruguay, but uh, I thought it was a non-story, him calling it out. But because of the way he said it, it became an issue, Yeah, at least on Twitter, the media, and some other places. Well, it, it, it got people talking about something that is a very real issue, which is U.S. soccer basically price gouging on tickets. Like like you said, the cheapest ticket was seventy two dollars. That is, that's in that's that's insanity. You can't do that as a normal person. And if you want to get it's a it's a friendly soccer, man. <laughs> if you're going to promote soccer in the U.S., do you maximize revenue? Do you ex- uh, maximize exposure? And U.S. soccer, they've chosen to maximize revenue so they can support youth soccer, other things. I'm not sure that that's the best way that it goes to keep the kids from going to these matches when they get a chance. You keep going to the same well, the same stadiums. Uh, but you're you're bleeding. You're you're squeezing blood from a stone in Ohio, and also like you ostensibly say it's to fund these youth programs. But come on, man, at least have a little bit of intellectual honesty about what you're doing. You just want to make money. All and it, it the thing like Pulisic's comments got us talking about that, which is a good thing. But what he said is like both indecipherable and a minefield because it was very vague and not very like it did not call out anyone in specific, so everyone felt attacked by it, and so all the conversations had this this pall over them of either defending or antagonizing because of Pulisic's comments. It just it wasn't a good look. And um no. even if, even if it raised important questions, not a good look. No, if he had to do it again, he'd do it a different way. If he prepared that statement, he needs some uh he needs to go to uh what's the MLS do uh yeah, New Hampshire uh does State it, University that they have partnered with and uh, get some PR training. Yeah, does MLS have a finishing school? <laughs> but um yeah, like Pulisic uh, graded a lot of things, but um eloquence apparently is not one of them. Yeah, he's misstated some things with Chelsea with Dortmund in his career. He said some good things. It's not his yeah, PR's not his strong suit. Uh it, it really not worth talking about. It's kind of a non-issue. It raises questions. Uh, U.S. soccer, I'm old enough to remember the problems with them always playing on the coast and always having vastly partisan crowds for the, uh, let's say, not the home team. So they've moved to the Midwest where they think they can get more partisan crowds. Now they've overdone it. You know, it's a process. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And it's a process to find a in this country right now, you can't do anything right, no matter who you are, because there's always somebody on the other side going to Nick Pitt you to death. And that's just the world we live in. I mean, like, ultimately, I'm not tr- tremendously interested in, like, the drama of his comments. But uh, this question of of pricing people out from from national team games, especially friendlies, 
it is a question that needs to be asked. It's a conversation that needs to be had because if, especially right now when popularity of soccer is on the rise, if U.S. soccer is pricing people out, well, you're going to stop that cold. Yeah. See what they do in the next cycle. It's happening. It's happening with MLB. MLB is making their product inaccessible and they're losing fans left and right. It happens. Uh, Moving on, also another note for the U.S. men's national team is uh, Nottingham Forest goalkeeper uh, Samba declined his contract option, seems to be leaving the team as they get promotion to the English Premier League. Uh, Ostensibly, that sets up uh, Evelyn Horvath to be their number one. Let's see if they... How few minutes they gave to Horvath makes me think they don't think he's number one. Let's see if they go out and sign someone to take over that role and he's back on the bench riding the pine for Nottingham Forest before we get ahead of ourselves on this one. Yeah. Uh, Interesting things happening in Nottingham Forest, though. Well, that's what happens when you move to the Premier League. Yeah. Things happen. Moving on, there's still a couple of games left in this international window for the U.S. men's national team. Coming up on Friday night in Austin, there's a match against Grenada, CONCACAF mandated for the Nations League. Uh, this is kind of useless. Uh, probably a time to run out the B team. Won't see a lot of A-listers. Even if they need the rotations, you don't want them to get hurt. Uh, unless the U.S. is losing, you might want to win this game just so that you can set yourself up to have that final against Mexico or perhaps Canada. Otherwise, this is a waste of the U.S.'s time. Yeah. Uh, Nations League is not a very serious competition, but also we won it the last and only time it was played, so we could build a little winning streak here. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that great to pay attention to till that final against Mexico. But... Yeah. Oh, man. And we, then on we, Tuesday. We so do love to win against Mexico, this team. <laughs> uh, Mexico loves to win against us. So what rivalries are made of. Uh, Tuesday, they go down to El Salvador, a stout team, not of the quality of Morocco or Uruguay. At least it's a test, and they do get to go on the road. So that's worthwhile of these two. Uh, both of them will be played at 9 p.m. Central Time. Information I have is the Granada games on ESPN Plus seems a little odd, but really, yeah, that's probably what it's worth. FS1 will show the El Salvador game. Yeah, um, both of them are also on Theo uh, Dien, and uh, the Granada game will also be on Unimas. I'm not a hundred percent sure about the El Salvador game. All right. Uh, before we wrap this up, one last word on the U.S. men's national team. Uh, they did find out who they will play on November 21st in the first game of the group stages at the World Cup Finals, which is what the whole tournament is called. Uh, it will be Wales. Mm-hmm. Yep. They knocked off Ukraine 1-0. On Sunday night, uh, Ukraine's dream and the fans of every neutral in the world, I guess, is knocked down. Uh, Gareth Bale had a free kick. Uh Kind of a nasty one. Own goal is what settled this. Ukraine's out. Wales advances. And that's who the U.S. will face. Yeah, it's a for Ukraine. It's a pretty heartbreaking way to go out, especially after 
they had a pretty tough fought win over Scotland to get to the to the Path A finals. But um yeah, we got Wales. So uh I mean it, we all kind of knew that that uh our group in the World Cup was going to be the geopolitics group cuz it was either going to be England facing Wales or Scotland or it was going to be Ukraine uh which carries geopolitics in and of itself at the moment but then there's also the US versus Iran so geopolitics group stays intact <laughs> um but yeah, Wales will be our first opponent. That'll be that game on Black Friday, I believe, right? I'm not sure. I haven't looked that far ahead. It's yeah. on the 21st of November. I do know that. Played somewhere around noon local time or 11 a.m. in the evening uh, there in Qatar. Yeah. Qatar, however you want to call it. Yeah. A surprisingly uh, easy game to watch considering the difference of time zones. Yeah. Got to wake up a little early from your uh, your Thanksgiving hangover. But uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of observers think that Wales was the best opponent for the U.S. because Scotland was a little bit better overall. Ukraine's got a lot of technical ability. I'm not so sure. I think we'll see Wales uh, bunker down on defense, and then they've got a world-class magic maker in Gareth Bale uh, to pull things out, and they can work on the transition. Uh, the U.S. outclasses them on talent, but the way that that works. And those type of games are always kind of a crapshoot. And this young U.S. team doesn't always deal with a bunker-down defense as well as they do as a team. They want to get out and run with them. That's where they really shine, as we saw in these two friendlies. Yeah. But um, now that now that the group's settled, I feel a bit more confident in saying that the U.S. should be able to get out of group. A lot of questions for the U.S. men's national team before they get to the World Cup. There's more time to go. Injuries could happen. Players could perform better or worse. Uh, you got Gio Reyna to try to fit back into the squad, which is actually a concern. Uh, you do have a couple of friendlies coming up in September where we might learn a little bit more. But otherwise, it's just a waiting time till the World Cup. It's just like it's a waiting time for St. Louis City SC. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of sitting around and doing nothing. Don't it remind you of sitting in traffic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of does. Uh, anything else this week, Mason? I think that wraps it up for me. And I'm your host, Mike Turner. And I'm your producer, Mason. And we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>